It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of the Harrison family murders? Bill and Bridget Harrison lived in Canada. They met at a performing arts theater when they were both teenagers. The two became romantically involved. Bill was black and Bridget was white. They experienced racism, but remained committed to their relationship. They would marry in 1969 and move to Mississauga, Canada, which is outside of Toronto. The couple was unable to have children, so they looked into adoption. In 1973, they adopted a six-month-old baby named Caleb. He had Tourette's syndrome and struggled academically. In 1975, the family moved into a house at 3635 Pitch Pine Crescent. Caleb graduated high school and went to work in a shipping and receiving business that sold collector Barbies. In 2000, he would meet a woman who worked behind the front desk of that company named Melissa Merritt. Caleb was 27, and Melissa was 19. The couple became romantically involved and wanted to start a family. Melissa claimed that she had a number of medical problems, which meant her chances of becoming pregnant would decline drastically if they waited. She wanted to have children quickly. Within three and a half years, the couple was married with two children. They lived in Georgetown, about 30 minutes from Bill and Bridget. Caleb developed a problem regulating his intake of alcohol, and Melissa seemed to have trouble regulating her level of honesty. She was a pathological liar. She made up a number of stories, including that she had ovarian cancer. In reality, she had been treated for a cyst. Melissa called the police in June of 2005 to report Caleb had attacked her by putting her in a headlock and repeatedly striking her head. He was arrested and eventually convicted of domestic assault. Melissa and Caleb separated. Caleb moved back to the home of Bill and Bridget. Melissa stayed in Georgetown and refused to allow Caleb to visit their two children. About a month later, Caleb slammed his vehicle head-on into a taxi while driving under the influence. He was coming back from a party. He killed the driver of the vehicle and injured four passengers. He was arrested and released on bail. A few weeks after this, Melissa called the police to report a home invasion. She claimed that she was attacked in her backyard and implicated Caleb. When the police went to talk to Caleb about this, they noticed he was still recovering from serious injuries from the fatal collision he had caused, meaning he would have been unable to perpetrate the attack reported by Melissa. No arrest was made. The police were convinced that she was lying, but she was never charged. 
In October of 2005, Caleb was given limited visitation rights to his children. That winter, Melissa fell in love with a 28-year-old man named Christopher Fattore. He was a beauty school dropout who worked as a bouncer, handyman, and kitchen manager. This reminds me of the musical Grease, where the character Frenchie dropped out of beauty school after turning her hair pink. In October of 2006, Christopher proposed to Melissa, but he ran into a bit of a technicality. She was still married to Caleb. Apparently, Melissa had assumed that because she was separated from Caleb for two years, they would automatically be divorced. I guess she figured her marriage came with the auto-divorce feature turned on. Christopher and Melissa had a ceremony, but of course it was not an actual wedding. In the next five years, they would have four children. The couple struggled financially. Caleb wanted 50-50 custody of his children, and a judge agreed. Christopher and Melissa moved to Mississauga, which made it a little easier to drop off and pick up the children. Bill and Bridget became much more active in their role as grandparents, which is something Melissa grew to resent. She sent an email to Bill and Bridget in which she wrote, quote, If Caleb is not caring for the children, no one other than myself should be, unquote. Melissa initiated a false accusation campaign, making five unsubstantiated claims against Caleb, Bill, and Bridget over the next two years. Investigators concluded that one claim involved the children being coached by Melissa, but again, she was never charged with a crime. Melissa stopped cooperating with the visitation schedule by December of 2008. On December 22, a judge ordered her to discontinue interfering. Tensions were running high in the family. In March of 2009, it was time for Caleb to go to jail. He was only given 18 months even though he had killed a person through his drunk driving. Caleb's share of the custody was given to Bill and Bridget. So when he was in jail, they took over. The judge did not want to alter the routine to which the children were accustomed. Now moving to the timeline of the murders. On April 16, 2009, Bridget Harrison arrived home just before 9 p.m. All the lights in the house were off. She could not locate her husband, Bill. After looking around a bit, she realized the first floor powder room door was locked. She picked it with a pin and found 64-year-old Bill Harrison dead on the bathroom floor. An autopsy revealed he had abrasions on his neck, a fractured sternum, and a large bruise on his scalp. It was determined he died from acute cardiac arrhythmia. I guess it was one of those cardiac arrhythmias that breaks into one's house and strangles a person to death, like a delinquent arrhythmia with a bad attitude. The day after Bill's death, Bridget learned that Melissa and Christopher had taken off with Caleb's children. Bridget was granted temporary sole custody. The police issued an arrest warrant for Melissa. Melissa was located in Nova Scotia and arrested. She was returned to Ontario. She was released on bail under the condition that she would not have unsupervised contact with the children. Caleb was released early from jail. He'd live with his mother and children. On one occasion, Melissa and Christopher visited the Harrison home, which was a violation of Melissa's bail conditions. She was arrested and spent three days in jail. On April 21, 2010, which was the day before the hearing about the abduction, Caleb's eight-year-old son came home from school on his bicycle. He opened the door and found 63-year-old Bridget Harrison lying at the bottom of the stairs, not far from the powder room where Bill Harrison's body was found 
in April of 2009. Bridget had abrasions and bruising on her chin and neck, and her neck was broken. There were two theories. She was strangled or fell down the steps. In reality, both were possible. Someone could have strangled her and then thrown her down the steps. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. The coroner updated the file. Now the deaths of Bill and Bridget were categorized as undetermined. Melissa told the police that she was working in her new home daycare business on the day Bridget died. Christopher said that he had been running errands and working in the backyard. The police determined no crime had been committed. I guess they stopped reading the criminal code before they reached the strangulation section. On August 23, 2013, one of Caleb's co-workers and a housekeeper discovered his body in his bedroom. He was lying in his bed with a blanket pulled up to his chin as if he was sleeping. His knuckles were swollen, there were deep scratches on his chest, and bruises and abrasions on his neck. Later, it was determined that 40-year-old Caleb Harrison had been strangled. Finally, the police started treating all three deaths as homicide. Although I can just picture there was still one police officer who wasn't convinced there was a murder, standing there and saying, when a fourth person dies, then call me. Melissa had been granted limited access to the children. She was due to return the children the day after Caleb was murdered. So again, we see highly suspicious timing. Two weeks after the murder, Melissa filed for sole custody. In January of 2014, Melissa and Christopher were arrested and charged with first-degree murder in connection with the deaths of Bridget and Caleb Harrison. Christopher alone was charged with killing Bill. This was a second-degree murder charge. Christopher confessed to murdering Bridget and Caleb after 13 hours of being interviewed, but later recanted and said that he only confessed in order to get a better deal for Melissa. At this point, the police felt confident they had Christopher for two murders, but they still didn't have Melissa. It was plausible that Christopher had acted on his own. A few days after Christopher's confession, the police arranged for he and Melissa to be in a room together at an airport along with a recording device. At one point, Christopher said, quote, I'm taking the rap for it to give you accessory after the fact, unquote. This statement and others didn't really represent a smoking gun. This was something Christopher was saying, not Melissa. What they really needed was Melissa admitting to something. Inside a trailer the couple had left behind when they initially moved away, the police found a laptop, which both Melissa and Christopher had access to. It contained an extensive internet search history. Two months prior to Bridget's murder, 
It was a search for what if a grandparent has legal custody and they die. Three weeks prior to the murder, we see searches like how long does it take to die from choking and how long does it take for a person being strangled to pass out. A month before Caleb's homicide, there was a search for easy ways to kill and get away with it. I find this interesting specifically due to the inclusion of the word easy. I could just picture them searching and thinking to themselves, we want to commit these murders, but we really don't want to have to work hard. Isn't there an easy way to kill? The trial started in September of 2017. The prosecutor's theory of the crime was that Christopher and Melissa conspired to commit the murders, but Christopher acted alone in the actual homicides. The prosecution did not try to argue that Melissa was involved in Bill's death. The motive was the custody dispute and the potential to inherit millions of dollars from the Harrison estate. Ultimately, the jury found Christopher guilty of murdering both Bridget and Caleb. He was found not guilty of murdering Bill Harrison. Melissa was found guilty of murdering Caleb. As far as the murder charge connected to Bridget, a mistrial was declared. Melissa and Christopher were sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Now moving to my analysis, I'll start with the question, were Christopher and Melissa actually guilty? Let's look at the evidence both for and against the idea they were guilty, starting with the inculpatory evidence. Both Christopher and Melissa had a motive, the custody dispute, and the money. Christopher admitted to killing Caleb, but said he only meant to rough him up to get more time with the children. DNA from Christopher was found under Caleb's fingernails. In Christopher's garbage at his home, there was a pair of shoes he purchased at Walmart not long before the murder, and a pair of gloves containing his and Caleb's DNA. It seems unusual that Christopher would have killed Caleb without the support of Melissa, so she really had a motive as well, as I mentioned, and it makes sense they would have worked together. In statements to the police, Christopher and Melissa both admitted the fact that they went to Walmart the night before the murder. Melissa had a long history of making false allegations against Caleb and was considered a pathological liar. Now moving to the exculpatory evidence. There were no witnesses or video surveillance tying Christopher or Melissa to any of the murders. No physical evidence tied Melissa to any murder. It's possible that Christopher could have acted without involving Melissa. The couple was recorded by the police for many hours in various circumstances, including in the airport, and really didn't say anything that inculpatory. The searches on the laptop don't look good, but again, both of them had access to that computer. Considering the evidence, were they guilty? As far as the homicides of Bridget and Caleb, I believe both Christopher and Melissa were guilty in reality, but I don't think Melissa was guilty of murder beyond a reasonable doubt. The reality is they just didn't have much in the way of evidence against her. I think what happened in this case is that Melissa wanted to get Caleb out of the way as far as custody. She was disgusted by Caleb. He had been violent. He was convicted of domestic violence. He had killed somebody while driving drunk. Melissa believed that he should be out of the picture as far as custody. She had built a life with Christopher, and she didn't want any interference from Caleb. Bridget and Bill became ambassadors for Caleb, in a sense, helping him with court and custody issues. I think Melissa viewed this as unfair. She did not believe they had a right to be involved. Melissa tried using deception excessively. She made all those false reports. 
but it did not help her to achieve her goal. She was becoming frustrated, running out of options. Therefore, she resorted to murder. She thought by taking out Caleb's support system, she would reduce his ability and resolve to fight for custody. Christopher was extremely easy to manipulate. Melissa was able to direct him to kill Bridget and Caleb. Even though he was found not guilty in the murder of Bill, he probably killed him too. Through a series of mistakes and gullibility, the police ignored the first and second murder, only being convinced to investigate when Caleb was found murdered. This probably emboldened Christopher and Melissa. Now they thought they were invincible. They thought they would never get caught. So when Bill was killed, they felt somewhat confident. When Bridget was killed, they felt really confident. And this made them assured enough to kill Caleb. The mistakes that the police made in this case are unimaginable. Christopher and Melissa were not sophisticated criminals. Finding the search history on the laptop earlier could have prevented Caleb's death. It was like there was some type of competition. Christopher and Melissa were low-quality criminals. The police were trying to be even lower-quality officers. All these people contributed to an entire family being wiped out. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.